Everybody says, oh, I'm excited about the guests we have coming on today. Um, this this time is for real. I have got uh, someone who, uh, it's not an exaggeration to say, from a distance has been a major influence for me as both a musician, as someone who uh, grew up in the church under the, well, you know, in, as a sort of a worship leader and in that, in that sort of a tradition, and so found his music in the past and, and in very recently uh, an inspiration both to my sound, the kind of style, and, and really what I feel um, worship is supposed to help us to um, to connect us and, and to get us into a certain space mindset. I find that his music has has really articulated that and, and been an invitation to that for me. Um, I can re- recall this when I first heard, I think one of the songs, Bless My Soul, was one of his, one of his songs that really spoke to me um, over the years. And so uh, it's my honour to, to invite onto the podcast today, Brother Marcus Cole. Brother? Hey, yo, how are you? <laughs> I am good. I am I am really blessed this evening. Um and what I would love to do to start out because there probably will be people listening in who don't know your story, don't know your background. Um and so if you could feel free to just kind of share um yeah, where you're coming from and the heritage as much as you feel is necessary to contextualize where where you are now and we'll take the, the questions there absolutely so um as you mentioned same as you i um well i i grew up in church i was i was born into a church-going family in a, in a pentecostal uh family to be um more exact church of god in christ um and my mother was missionary evangelist in the church, my father not not so much. My father was on the fringes of the church experience, although he had grown up in a very spiritual family as well. Yeah. He, his path kind of took him just a little different, not not you know diametrically, but but uh, just a little different uh, from from my mom, who was always involved. Therefore, all five of us, I'm the youngest of five, we were always involved, and um, I don't you know I think you're a musician, mm-hmm. you know. There are opportunities for young men who are involved in music or at least interested in music to 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 play. And so that's what happened. My brother was playing the drums and I wanted to play the drums, so I did. And then I eventually moved to uh, guitar and I, I learned how to play guitar. And then uh, subsequently keys came into the picture uh, maybe in my teens, but I was always singing. So we had a family group um, where I joined the group maybe when I was eight years old and just started singing with the group. So singing had always been a part of my life, had known that I was gifted to do so uh, from a very young age. And so I traveled around the Saginaw Flint area um, Mm. in Michigan 
singing. Um, and then it was it was years later after my marriage as a matter of fact, I think it was one year into my marriage or so, and that was in 94, I wanna say, that I, I got the opportunity to um, audition for commission. And it, it wasn't like one of those like open auditions. It was it was very specific actually that their role manager at the time, um, Carlos Faison, uh, contacted me and a young brother that we were kind of a duo. He was the musician, I was the singer. His name is Terrence Hurd. And so they contacted both of us to be a part of Commission uh, because Marvin Sapp was was, uh, was embarking on his solo career. Um, and so we we did, we joined. Terrence's stay was, was short-lived, but uh, obviously I, I stayed much longer. And so that's how I kind of came to just even being known for that matter mm -hmm. um, nationally is because you know of my time with with commission. So there's obviously a lot in between that time, but in a, in a nutshell, that's really kind of my the span of my musical career. Right. Oh man, thank you for just shedding some light on that because I I wasn't sure exactly the timeline that you joined. Uh, commission, but that's that's really that's really helpful. You mentioned you were you were in the Flint, Michigan, area. Yeah. I mean, I know that Michigan is such a hub for for gospel yeah. music, generally speaking. Yeah, so I imagine just yeah, being in that area and just kind of drawing from that from the heritage and being kind of influenced by by so many gospel greats that are from that area. I imagine that was who who from you know, are, are there any sort of um influences you, that you can maybe think of that really helped to hone you, even your sound well yeah i mean if you go if you go way back stevie wonder is from saginaw michigan okay. so you know that's that's yeah. he's a huge influence of mine and mm -hmm. then i mean you have i mean the winans from detroit the clark sisters from detroit um good lord you name it yeah. motown you have all the motown yeah. artists in yeah. in detroit um so in that specific area um you had access to all of those people there's a great sense of pride mm -hmm. in detroit because of it as well excellent yeah i know that's that's uh man just thinking about the the richness of our heritage yeah. um it's just yeah it's just heartwarming so so tell us a little bit then about uh, so you know you had your time in in commission and then you mm -hmm. you know you were you were as you said thrust upon a national stage um i i do recall seeing videos with you on like tbn sort of so christian television right. so you were so right. you were really in the in the kind of evangelical world right. even though you kind of came from you know kojic pentecostal but it sounds like you were just thrust thrust yeah. everywhere and what, what just you maybe talk us through some of the 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 highs and lows of what it's what it's like being on on such a major platform as a as a sort yeah. of a gospel artist so whatever you feel open to share yeah um yeah i'm very open um i've, I've talked in in the past about a lot of uh what goes on or mm -hmm. what went on and and when it comes to me in in the industry and I really do call it industry, even if, you know, we, we like to say that it's ministry, the mm. function is ministry. The machine is industry. And that's a very interesting marriage because mm. whenever you, whenever your catalyst is industry and industry standards, mm -hmm. it will often muddle 
the purpose of ministry. Yeah. Because, you know, as we've been taught, I mean, you know, you shouldn't charge and you shouldn't get paid for this and you shouldn't live, you know, a certain way if it's mm -hmm. if it's really ministry. Yeah. And then furthermore, um, a person's personal life of integrity is something that's on display when you're when you have a stage and you're singing before people because often the the song that you sing about um people believe that that's what you're living and, and rightly so right you should mm -hmm. you should you should live what you sing about as, as i always put it your your um your theology should create your doxology and not the other way around your doxology right. should not create your theology mm -hmm. and so we should live that life as well mm -hmm. here's the thing though is that your fans or the public often do not allow you that how do i put it that leeway mm. to be human right yeah. um not unless you are very intentional about presenting that first and foremost like hey listen i'm very human i sing about the most high because i i i understand grace but i'm very at the, at the same time i'm very much human such as were some of our greatest mystics and um in, in scripture and 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 without but mm -hmm. you know it's, it's trying to balance that lifestyle of what you sing about mm -hmm. and you know who you really are, working out your personal demons, um, uh, that dark passenger, um, and, and, and and working out that dark night of the soul when you have it. Every man and woman will have that moment, the dark night of the soul, as Arthur puts it. And so it, it comes through in your music. My passion, for anyone who's ever heard me sing, seen me sing, know that I sing with a certain passion. And my passion had always come, before I was liberated, before my awakening, it had always come from a sense of, <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but it has always come from a sense of guilt or awareness that I was flawed. So when I sang, I sang from this place of, oh, no, no, I know I'm saved, quote unquote saved, but boy, I'm, I'm really a messed up human being. So please hear my prayer. As a matter of fact, uh, Bless My Soul was, was it was kind of birthed out of that. I, I had just gone through what I call a, a, a period in my life of, um, wow, of purification, where I had to sit down with my wife and have a very, uh, a frank conversation about me and, and, and what was going on with me or whatever the case was. Mm -hmm. And um, Bless My Soul was birthed out of that. It was a very Davidic moment where that song was birthed through me, even in the style, that kind of Celtic um, hymn, hymn, hymnal style. Mm. That was birthed out of that moment. And every time I sang it, before it was ever published, I cried because it was my lament. It was the, the, the very essence of who I was more than anything, bless my soul. I was on the road. I was seeing success. I was, you know, signed to um, CC Winans label at the time. Um, uh, and so I started seeing success. No, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I wrote that obviously before I was on her label. But I had seen success, some success with commissioned and whatnot. And, and that was just my prayer. More than anything, I want you to bless my soul. That was my prayer in that moment. Here's the thing about songs. They're just like art. I'm talking about the medium of paint or, or oil. It, it, it stays the way it is. It, it, it does not change. It's what you see on your wall is what it is for years to come. And that's the thing mm. about published music is that when we write from the soul, 
in the moment is what, you know, what is conveyed, what is uh, uh, produced. But 10 years later, that's probably not where you are. So that's where I was then. Mm. Um, that song still has weight for me now. When I sing it, it still has has great weight for me now. But fact is, 17 years ago, that's um, that's where I was with, with "Bless My Soul." And so, you you what you do, you have to get in front of people, sing in front of them, and you, what you have to also deal with is their perception of your righteousness. Mm. Oh, you must, oh, you're so anointed. Oh, you're such an anointed man of God. Oh, you must really have it together. Why? Because we have been taught that um, certain uh, sounds and certain things when they happen to people or given to people, they must be closer to God because this is God's blessing. And I'm going to tell you something, yo, you know that that is not the truth. Mm -hmm. That is just not the truth. So your determination of whether a person is really close to God is usually incredibly off based on your perception. It, mm. it would have to take the fruit of that person's life and you observing the fruit, you do not see the fruit of recording artists. You do not. Record sales, concert dates, tour dates is not the fruit right. of a person's life or relationship with the Most High. Yes, that does not show tell you the fruit. It just simply says they have good booking, <laughs> or you know, or, or they have songs that have been played on the radio. Thus, uh, uh, people want access to them. Right. So um, there is pressure. Yeah. But I had to when I came to my end. I had to realize that there was undue pressure, and um, when I when I became free from it, then I. I felt better about standing before people and singing um, because I knew who I was and I knew what I was representing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, man, so much of so much of what you've said there speaks um, so deeply to me. Um, and, you know, you've touched on a few things which we're going to get to when you, you speak about or you spoke about having an awakening or feeling like you stepped away from a certain paradigm and I definitely want us to to go there shortly what I'd just before we get there um when you talk about the disconnect between what because I feel like the industry and the the way that that works um in a way it's very similar to what it's like the outside life that people project in say church settings and how sometimes there is a disconnect between the internal life and what's going on and sometimes there is this feeling that you have to make sure that you're you keep up the facade that things are you are as holy as people expect you to be and and if you start to quote unquote struggle with a certain issue whatever that issue may be and you feel like oh my gosh i don't i can't i'm not allowed to be real and to be vulnerable about this because there is going to be um, many people are going to struggle to either accept me so rejection feeling um feeling shamed or put aside and i feel that i wouldn't be surprised if because of the expectations within 
both the industry as well as even in ministry that's not necessarily attached to being an artist expectations are still so high for many that when there is this disconnect between what you claim to be living <laughs> versus right. how you're actually living it just it, it creates a, a massive amount of cognitive dissonance and and, um, yeah. and i imagine can lead people to to disillusionment um yeah. you know and and it really it, it's a way it, it speaks to the issue sometimes of this this problem that i think is commonplace for many people who go through a faith crisis can relate to i certainly can remember times in my life where i felt like i had a certain powerlessness as it relates to a certain aspect of my walk and feeling like am i am i am i a walking contradiction and you know it was just difficult um for me so I, i'd love to be able to segue then so tell me about so after you've got to this point where you are in this place you have this kind of um you know a bit of a name and you're signed and you are an industry artist as, as it were worship artist um and then you mentioned about some some of the, the you know the, the shifts that happened so just kind of walk us through what was kind of going on internally perhaps or whatever you feel okay to share about that experience and especially some of the difficult sides of it to relate to what was going on inside of you as you kind of try to make sense of it all yeah um so i have always one you know desired to be a recording artist gospel or otherwise, right? R&B, it didn't, didn't matter, but obviously my roots were in gospel. And it's the old saying, only what you do for Christ will last. Um, that is psychological. Any child who's grown up hearing that um, knows that that is pretty much always a part of their of their psyche, that only what you do for Christ will last. That is subjective um, for, for thinkers. That's subjective because you have to ask the question, then um, isn't everything I'm doing for Christ, right? Or, or what what is it that I'm doing that is not for Christ? And so I grew up thinking that way. So, you know, gospel would be the obvious route, um, especially being with commission and then afterward uh, with the solo career, um, The uh, back in 2006 when I released my solo album. Um, and so now I'm, you know, I'm a few years into my marriage and with kids and I'm traveling and this feels, feels right. I'm doing shows, I'm doing TBN, I'm doing other gospel venues, uh, doing some traveling. As a matter of fact, was, um, was on tour with CC and Donnie McClurkin, um, all while being a worship pastor at a church in Michigan. And all of this feels right. And it was for the most part. I mean, it, this was like what I wanted to do, traveling, ministry at home and whatnot. Uh, but I very much have some, had some personal uh, issues that I was, that I was dealing with. I think as we all do, I think the problem is, is that religion has taught us to hate ourselves so much that we don't give ourselves the opportunity to work it out. Very simple. Is that we don't we don't give ourselves the chance to work it out. Someone said this to me that I thought was so profound and full of wisdom that I keep saying it today. A river purifies itself as it runs. And when the brother told me that, especially concerning my, my personal issues that I thought were issues, it really just freed freed me up that 
this is what I'm supposed to be, and the process is not sinful. This is what the problem uh, with with most people who who are uh, uh, who who, who kind of hate themselves because of picadillos, right? Or or, or, or or somewhat sins that go on the scoreboard, whatever that might be. And, and let me be clear about something. I wasn't, you know, uh, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to say what I wasn't or what I was without disclosing too much. But, but the fact is, I mean, I dealt with stuff that people deal with, you feel me? So um, religion though makes you hate yourself for doing it and you cannot produce good feelings and great energy when you hate yourself. And so there's there becomes a cycle of this uh, um, self-hatred of who I am. It, it reminds me of the the priest in the, in the story with Hester Prynne, the, uh, the priest who was intimate with her and every night he would flagellate himself. He would whip himself and no one knew it however she was the one publicly being scorned he was just as guilty but privately uh, i think it was the um um oh, it'll come to me but um um scarlet letter <clears throat> but privately he 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 punished himself and i think that's what we do we, we if we have public lives we stand before people we teach we communicate as we sing privately we punish ourselves and the, the whole idea is that the father knows your life both private and publicly. Some mm. of the things you've been hating yourself for is not in fact sin. They're just established sins through religion. Right. And that's where you must make the difference. What What is the affront to the most high? And what are the things that the church frowns on? Mm. That is a difference. And most people think they're one and the same. And right. in fact, it is not. For, for instance, uh, 30, 40 years ago, the way that my wife dresses now would have been a complete affront to the church. Well, right. you, uh, you are a harlot. Get out of here with your hair color and your pants, right? And right. so the church considered that a sin. Well, 40 yeah. years later, the same people who thought it was a sin now partake in it. So therefore, yeah. it cannot be, you see what I'm saying? Because yeah. things, because things change. Mm -hmm. But what was my relationship with my creator, with my father, the most high? What was that relationship? And so I would begin to discover what that was. And I had always been hearing that call, even from sitting behind the piano, playing at this culture church, I would hear the father say, you got to get out of here. You got to wow. get out of here. And I was like, get out of where? Get out of here. You got to get out this place. Mm -hmm. and, and in the years that followed, I understood clearly what that place what that place was it wasn't just that church although that was geographically you know or physically a place that i did need to get out of get away from for my growth and so in hindsight empirically i see exactly why the father did um what he did so so i left michigan and i took a job in north carolina at a ministry um, and just before I took that job, I was at a ministry in Michigan that I had probably the best relationship between pastor and uh, uh, worship pastor, minister of music, whatever you want to call it, ever. Um, it was a brother, Tim Delina, who um, uh, just, just an amazing person. And he saw me for who I was 
I had been with commission. I had my, as a matter of fact, I joined his ministry the year that my solo album came out. And he gave me that leeway to travel. He even told me, look, man, if you need time, I'll give you six months, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's because of that, it just endeared me to him more. But he saw in me what other pastors did not. And he wasn't intimidated by it. And he wanted to foster it and help it grow while at the same time um, dealing with personal issues that that he know I, I I was dealing with just as a man. And so it was one of the best relationships that I ever had um, without question. Um, at any rate, I moved from, from there to North Carolina to another ministry that was, you know, I felt at, at some time it was my worst mistake, but it was where my awakening took place. So mm. I can't say that. I have to say that it was orchestrated uh, by the Father. It was definitely orchestrated. And um, that's where I, my greatest frustration took place to where when I left that particular ministry in North Carolina, I told the Father, okay, this is it. I've been following you since I, since I knew what, you know, what, what church was. And you got to let me know who you are if you're real because I'm willing to walk away from it and I was that it was such a true statement I'm willing to walk away from all of it right now in this moment if you don't show me who you really are uh, subsequently or consequently I have been reading these books by C.S. Lewis and I started reading uh, another book um, uh, Dinesh D'Souza um, and Pagan Christianity by uh, Frank Viola George Barnum yeah. so all of this really started you know, coming into play with how I saw the church dispelling, you know, knocking over sacred cows and, and, and theology and all that kind of stuff. And it really started helping, you know, C.S. Lewis being a, an atheist, former atheist himself. Um, but but now, you know, obviously with the school of apolog apologetics and all that kind of stuff, his books, like I've read like five of his books and they were instrumental in his explanation of what it was to be a believer and then reading some of the others. Then my greatest transformation happened through a series of events. I, I, my best friend in Michigan, he and I started talking and I saw a transformation in him. I hadn't seen him in years and I saw this amazing transformation in him. And I'm not talking about the, the weird kind of religious Christian one. I'm talking about just a human being who was now very much still himself, very much the same humor, an amazing person, but you can just tell this change, right? So there was no Christianese being spoken, none of that kind of superficial stuff. It was like, just, you could just tell, right? So he and I started talking. We both identified with our changes in our lives at the same time as men. And he, he told me about his mentor who was a former pimp like a legit former pimp back in the 70s 80s or whatever the case is um and he told me how he had been in class and this guy had this transformation and blah 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 and so over the weeks and the months i would share with him what's going on in my life he would share with me what was going on in his life and how frustration led him to his awakening and so on and so forth and the thing that we have in common is that his brother who's passed now was my best friend but we we both do music and so that obviously what we had in common as well and so um one day he had shared with me that he had been sharing my life with his mentor uh, this ex-pimp who was who was not a church goer whatsoever his transformation happened in prison and uh and um he started reading a book that would change my life and he asked mark one day my friend he said 
uh, man, you think he ready for this book? And uh, Mark said, yeah. He said, well, you, he said, you buy it. No, he said, I'll buy it. You send it to him. And so he sent me this book called, um, by Ernest Holmes called uh, Science of the Mind. Mm. And this book, yo, changed and changes my life. Wow. And what he wrote what with, with this guy, Ronnie G, what he wrote in the front of the book was was so surprising because he wrote basically the sentiment of my heart, which was don't go with the crowd because the crowd is too loud. And he was telling me, pursue the father for yourself. And I was like, whoa, because I literally, this is when MySpace was huge. I had literally just wrote something like this in my MySpace. And this guy doesn't follow MySpace and none of that kind of stuff. So I was like, whoa. I started reading this book and this book just <laughs> revolutionized my thinking. I mean, when I say an awakening, bro, it was such a profound awakening. I still teach from this book today at our ministry, at our at our work. I, I still this is still this is an amazing book, Ernest Holmes. Mm -hmm. And um this is where it happened. Now, now C.S. Lewis is 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 making more sense. Now, uh, a pagan Christianity uh, is making more sense. Now, Christianity itself is making more sense. And when I say making more sense, I'm I'm looking at now walking away from Christianity because now I understand that I can be a follower of uh, Yeshua Hamashiach and not be a Christian. Now, see that statement in itself confuses a lot of Christians because once again they're really children of um, Constantine they're they are children of religion and not children of the most high because they think that being a Christian puts them right with with with, with God or puts, puts them right with the most high and it was reading this book that I started and my wife has this great quote she said I was a Christian until I met Christ and wow. that's exactly how I felt I was like, I don't have to call myself a Christian and I can live this life. And I love the way that my big brother uh, puts it. He says, I am a lover of God mediated through a Palestinian Jew by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And that's what I am. So I don't label myself with Christian uh, and I have no problem with it, explaining it to people. I often see the faces when I tell people, you know, that I'm not a Christian, they automatically go, oh my God, so what are you? And I'm going, take it easy. You know, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, definition is the death of discovery. Um, and you, you don't get a chance to explore once you've defined it as one thing, particularly at one point in your life. <laughs> don't 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 think that at the age of eight what you considered was the world is the same thing at 18 or 28 it's just not the same thing so don't define it allow don't define it allow yourself to discover more and that's what shedding the the, the label of christian that's what it did for me Mm -hmm. that I, I'm a lover and a follower of Yeshua, the character, the person that we read about in scripture. The character is what I am intrigued by, but I am a follower of the spirit. Let's look at the word Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit for a second. The word ghost is the, uh, the, the, the Anglo-Saxon word geist, which means way or spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit or the way of the Spirit, holy is wholeness. So it is the way of one, the oneness or the wholeness of the universe. That's what the Holy Spirit is. So religiously we say, oh, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, but the fact of the matter is, if we look at the etymology of that word, what we understand, and this is what C.S. Lewis helped me understand, he said the Holy Spirit means the way a person, or the Spirit rather, is the way a person operates. So when I say Holy Spirit, we attribute it to Christ, which is his way. How did he operate? How did he think? Let this mind be in you, that was what? Also in Christ, Christ. Yeshua. Yeshua, not Yeshua the Christ, Christ Yeshua. Now. I could say the same thing about Yol. It let this mind be in you that was also in Yol Amawale. What, what am I saying? Christ Yol Amawale. The way Yol thinks, it is the anointed one. The way he mm. thinks, his highest self, his highest vibration, the way he thinks, let that mind be in you too, if that suits you. Um. So it's 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 through this awakening, this evolution that I'm still having, as a matter of fact, discovering that I found my best self. Mm. And 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 things that uh, I probably had a problem with in the past, I no longer had a problem with, only because I understood myself and that I wasn't judging myself every day, every moment. I wasn't judging myself any longer on it. I was allowing myself to be. Yeah which is why I call it our ministry B church. And I, I struggle with the church part of it because I understand that churches from the word Ecclesia, well, 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 one, one derivation is from the word Ecclesia. If mm. most people understood the Dutch derivation of the word church, they'd really have a problem with it because it is the picture of a witch who lures young people into the woods, feeds them so they get real fat, and then she devours them. The average Christian, uh, Joe, Joe mm -hmm. does not know that Kirk gives you church, and it, that is the definition of the word church. Kirk is this witch who would lure young people into the woods, feed them, make them feel good, and then devour them. Wow. <laughs> so, so the thing, so what does that have to do with, well, what do you mean what does that have to do with you and your belief? How many engorged Christians Come sit on. in a pew with heat and air conditioning every week, only to be taught by one man or one woman the same thing year after year, and they themselves do not go out and start teaching or feeding or clothing or, or, or giving someone shelter. You've become engorged. You, you love the new speakers. You, you love all the prophets that come in and feed your, and tickle your ears. You love all of that stuff. Mm. Mm. And and, and 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 so you you ask you have to ask yourself what am I doing with what I know? Scripture says this. By now, some of you should be teachers or masters, is what it says. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so the question is, let's look at this for a second, you know. Yeah. Uh, if if religion is akin to uh, the halls of academia, and it should be, hmm. uh, there should be a matriculation process, correct? Right. You know this, you're a doctor, correct? That's right. All right. So there's a matriculation process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Throughout your matricula matriculation process, there are there are points where you are tested. Mm -hmm. And someone in authority will let you know if you are learning what you should be learning, if you are on point. Am I correct? 
That's right. Okay. How is it that in the church as we know it, I could be a part of a ministry for 20 years, 15 years, 30 years, and no one checks what I know? Right. No one checks if I truly get what has been taught over the last session, season, whatever. No one checks that. Because mm. if this were truly halls of academia, then I would be a tremendous failure because I have not graduated. Yes, so, sir. so who's checking? Mm. So, so it's so it's in religion that you do not check. Why? Because I need you to be a part of this body, this this particular ministry. Because I need your I need your body and I need your finances and I need your works to help this uh, to help this continue. That is the end that I came to in North Carolina. I got to the point where I was so frustrated that my gift was not enough. It was it was like I could care less. You know, commission was supposed to have so much success and it really wasn't. Man, listen, I have been evicted more times than I can I can count than I want to admit to when I was a part of commission. People think that I was successful with that and I wasn't. Just because you travel and you show up on stage and TV doesn't mean that you are doing great. That is not the case. Um, wow. Miles Monroe said this when he was alive. And I thought it was so profound. He said, when I was a Christian, I was broke. I was sick. <laughs> and I thought it was such a bold statement to make in front of that, in front of those people. When I was a Christian, I was bold, I was I was broke. I mean, I was I was broke, I was poor, I was confused, I was this, that, and the other. And and that's when I realized that that was my tap on the shoulder from the universe to say, go this way. Mm. So that's where I am today. That's what I teach boldly. I've been questioned by people close to me. And I've been questioned by people who don't know me, who only know me from afar through music, you know, asking, do you know, and they're very concerned, do you still follow, do you still love Jesus? Do you still, and you know what's amazing, yo, is mm-hmm. that they never thought, watch this now, just they never thought to themselves, or, or they were never unctioned when I was singing Bless My Soul on TBN to call or to text or to message me and say, do you still love Jesus? Because see, for them, what they saw answered that question. Wow. But they didn't know that I was still tormented with certain things. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't put a lot of intellectual stock in staunch religious people. And I'm sorry, I know it sounds very um, offensive to some, but I, I don't. Because hmm. I feel like the church is where you go and you relinquish your intellect you relinquish mm-hmm. your brain your 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 thinking process because you don't think things through you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the term the, uh, the term cognitive dissonance earlier yeah it is in the church that your cognitive if, if it if there was a meter for cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. most people's meters would be reading completely in the red i mean yeah. just going yeah. crazy because they see things, hear things, experience things that just don't make sense. But what do you do? You simply reason it away with, well, we don't understand God. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me posit, you're not even trying. Oof. 
No, you're not. You're, you're not even trying to understand God. Uh, you, uh, and, and you and, and most people will, will get scriptures and try to back it up. Well, as the scripture said, oh, but there are also other scriptures. Even, as a matter of fact, that um, uh, St. Thomas, whether people, theologians believe the validity of the book of St. Thomas, I do. I read mm. and study from the book of St. Thomas, the lost, the Gnostic uh, writings of uh, uh, St. Thomas. Same. He even says it that way, that Yeshua said that some of these things were mysteries, but are no longer mysteries. Mm -hmm. Some of these things that I taught you, they were mis mysterious, but now that I've taught you, they are no longer mysterious. Even the King James has a version of that. So that's what science does for me. Science, uh, it, 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 it explores how the Most High does what the Most High does. It's that simple to me. It explores how is this possible. As a matter of fact, most people don't know 1920, 1925, um, and you'll miss it if you're not really paying attention. Albert Einstein actually has, who was an atheist, he actually has a change of heart because it was a, there was another physicist who introduced to him the idea that one, the Big Bang Theory happened, but two, Einstein began to posit that if it happened, something or someone had to make it happen. Yeah. And he actually changed his stance on whether there was a God or not. I mean, how amazing is that? That yeah. once we begin to study atoms, which in 1920 was unheard of, what you, and this is talking about 100 years ago, just 100 years ago. In the 1920s, physicists did not believe in quantum theory or nothing like that. But now when you start to explore atoms and this Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, then you begin to understand that there's something behind all things that causes it to be. You will, you, you, you are relinquishing your intellect when you walk into a church and you can't ask the pastor how this happened why is this so and most catholics they'll tell you don't ask questions even in most pentecostal churches they'll tell you a protestant don't ask questions well, what do you mean don't ask questions <laughs> yeah. so i decided i won't ask you questions you know why i won't ask you questions because you don't know <laughs> you don't know you do not know so therefore i know why you're doing what you're doing or saying what you're saying and if you do know if you do know, what a shame, because Yeshua said this, he said, uh, uh, woe to you lawyers, those who knew the law, the Pharisees, scribes, woe to you lawyers, because you have kept them from going within, and you yourselves have not gone within. When I read that, yo, that blew me away. Woe to you lawyers, you people who know the law, the Mosaic law, you know it forward, backward, you know it. You have kept the people from going within and you yourselves have not gone within. So what I decided was, if I step outside of this organized religion, I have the freedom to go within mm. and discover the Most High the way that I'm supposed to discover the Most High. Wow. So you I'm not just said a lot, but... No, no, I... what came to mind um, as you were explaining that was the conversation that um, happened between between Jesus and, and Nicodemus 
who um, you know Nicodemus was 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 obviously uh, you know, a member of the Jewish ru ruling council, and yeah. he you know came to Jesus um, in the night and and recognized Rab, you know Jesus as a, as a teacher from from God, but you know wanted to understand you know how you know basically how 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 is he able to do these signs and Jesus mm. you know basically saying to him no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again so yeah. of course Nicodemus is like what do you mean by this I mean in a way it's like surely you can't go go into the womb yeah. uh, for a second time and then he says no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the spirit mm. but as you were talking about the 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 within experience um it just made me think that 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 conversation alludes to this that this being born again yeah. is really about as you said being able to look within and that there is that rebirth that awakening that happens and you you really have a chance to break free from the the mold of the kind of organized um distraction that that sometimes religion kind of amounts to and uh, you 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 get caught up in a lot of works and this and that and the other that and pageantry and and legalism and none of that amounts to you really understanding um you know god for yourself is such a personal and internal journey in fact a lot of what i when i try to understand when jesus says things like you know the way the the way is narrow we, we are growing up in a Christian context, we often assume that to be, well, of course, because everybody has to walk the path that looks like Christian conformity, whatever the creeds we believe or, or denominations. But actually, what's the narrow, the narrowest path you can ever really go on is, is a path for one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's that, and that yeah. really is a narrow path. It's that internal path that only you can go on where you connect with, with, you know, with the spirit as, as you discern and as you um and as your your journey it's like one of the quotes that um that come to mind that i was also thinking about you know is that I, when we think about god especially in the religious context we're obsessed with this with focusing more on the transcendence god out there and then the, the imminence is i mean particularly we don't fully understand that Christianity, yes, talks about Christ inside or or within, but I still think we, we don't quite get it. And we're very afraid of this notion um, of, you know, being ourselves, being expressions of, um, you know, of, of the of the divine. And, um, and one of the thoughts that, that came to mind is that God, it's like this is, is going to sound probably blasphemous to some, but mm -hmm. if we think of God as the primordial intelligence, yeah. the first cause of all things, seen yeah. and unseen, and I believe that that primordial intelligence sees the world through your eyes, through my eyes, mm. through the eyes of every life form, and he hears the world through our ears touches the world through our hands or embrace all of life are like sensory modalities of divine consciousness perceiving understanding influencing and shaping the world around us and you know with what we discern and desire so like our presence um and as we interact in you know as we live our lives it's all 
there's this divine conscious intention behind all of that and we need to play our part um you know to in other words there is a partnership between that god yeah. overall consciousness and and us and i do you know what you yeah. funny you mentioned uh, miles monroe yeah. he said something that i remembered back in the day lots of my church religious yeah. folks would say oh, that's blasphemy when he said that <laughs> prayer is he said something about prayer being like um our per- divine we giving god permission to do things in the earth i don't know if you yes. do, do you remember that quote something yeah, along that? yeah it, it was um we it was something akin to we make god legal on earth yeah something I- we, yeah we we as people we as believers when we believe we we make god legal on earth and that's just the truth yo I, i've man even before my awakening, when I thought, you know, that I wasn't awakened, when I look back, I realized how the Father's been speaking to me, saying to me things that no pastor, teacher had ever really said to me. And, and, and one time, one of the greatest, greatest revelations happened to me when I was trying to understand the faith, no man has ever seen the face of God, mm-hmm. uh, statement or scripture. And Spirit said to me, he, he said, Marcus, the reason why no man has ever seen the face of God is because no one man has ever seen every man's face. Mm. I said, whoa, that's both dead and living and um, and will be alive or will, will wow. be born. And he, what he did was he showed me the example of a mosaic, yeah. which is uh, one picture made up of several small pictures, pixels. And he said, that's the face of God. No man has ever seen the face of God because no man has ever seen every man's face. This is the greatness of the Most High. The reason why, <sighs> the reason why the Most High is so, uh, man, is lack of a better word, so big and so great is because humanity is so big and so great. Um, and he is hidden, he is in all of us. He's ubiquitous in that way. That's why we call him omnipresent because he has existed in all of us. There are little elements, as a matter of fact, even in science, in, in, in um, uh, uh, um, uh, one is called an, um, Ar- I won't say argon. It's a little snooty aristocratic element that doesn't dissipate, doesn't die, that we all breathe in. Uh, from from Tutankhamun to Yeshua to Hitler, to, we've all breathed it in, and and that in itself, when we look at science, that in itself, uh, Pascal understood his greatness when he understood the greatness of the Most High. It is the it's, it's, to me, it's no longer preachers who astound me. It is the scientists, it is the physicists, the the the, the metaphysical ones who who understand the greatness of botany, of the stars, of water, who understand this, who, who give me such joy because now I'm truly understanding how great the Most High is. I, you, make the Most High legal on earth. Being wrapped in this earth suit, operating by spirit, we make the Most High legal on earth. And watch this, the, the greatest thing that we can do with our lives is pretty much giving glory to our creator because we were made to do amazing things our body i mean look look at what uh, technologists still trying to figure out how the human body works right so we are so amazing only 11 percent or so of our brain capacity truly being used i don't know how true that is but that's what that's what's said 
we are we are amazing species. When we do great things, we are that is that's what giving glory to to God, as we say in church. That's what giving glory to God is, is. Is look at what I can do with what has been given to me. I am making God legal on earth. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Man, I'm I'm just I'm just taking it all in. I think my I'm yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty blown away by this by this conversation i think what i what i know for sure and and i would love for us to be able to talk a bit more about this off air i, I would love us to be able to have another uh, recorded conversation at some point if if we're you know schedules permit i know this is uh these are crazy times um but you know i, I also would love to be able to um you know you mentioned quite a few books which I'll put in the show notes as well, okay. um, just so that people can download, uh, you know, purchase and, and listen to these resources. One of the things I feel like has just come come to my my heart. It's like, tell tell us what what ministry kind of looks like for you now in and and just yeah with you know the church that you and yeah. well as, as you said you, you call it a church but it really yeah. is beyond that kind of old paradigm of what we think of when we think of church but just because yeah. i'm really i feel burdened to do something here in the uk where i'm based to facilitate um spiritual community and pursuit outside of the the rigid confines of of the, of the old religious paradigm not saying that everything in it was you know was bad by right. the way it's just that you absolutely know, you, right yeah but it's just that there is a sense of there is you can't stay within it's like something about the old it's like old wine skin it's like if you yeah. try and pour something new inside new wine yeah. and it, it, it it's and i feel for me i'm at the place where i've had to step away from and it has been a costly um departure it's not it's not been easy because i've like yourself so much of my identity has been forged and wrapped up in that in that system and so i do I, I i still have family members friends who who are still within that and i respect their decision of course but i feel a calling to do uh, and to try to shape something so i would be just inspired by you just sharing a little bit about that uh what yeah. that looks like for you now yeah um so uh let's see seven years ago um, when my assignment ended here in Connecticut as a worship pastor at, at this church here, uh, my wife and I, we kept connections with certain friends and we were encouraged to at least start, a lot of people were saying, start a church. I thought that was just nonsense. Like, well, okay, so just because I'm no longer there, I'm not going to just go start a church because I, I, I think I respect it too much you know what i mean the whole idea of even doing something like that but they encouraged us to start a, a bible study and so so we did we met um and we it wasn't just the bible what we taught uh life uh, you know script understanding the scripture seeing ourselves in scripture um and understanding that everything is written is not for us the book is a bible about jews written to jews uh, so we don't really see ourselves until they begin to speak about, um, if you're not Jewish, rather, we don't see ourselves until they begin to speak about the Gentile or whatever the case might be. So uh, when I study the scripture, I, I study kind of threefold. Who's saying it? Who are they saying it to? And when did they say it? It gives me context and pretext um, that I can now exegete 
and understand what scripture, what it's really saying. Not everything, that's the problem we see in church with pastors says, and then the Bible said, and we all get excited. He's talking to me too. Well, that's not necessarily the case, all right? So I wanted to approach Bible study that way. How does this apply to me? Right? Does is this talk is this talking to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had a great number come out. People who just really want to know, very much still steeped in tradition. Some were throwing it away as well. Like, you know, I don't want to deal with that anymore. You said something really right on a minute ago, yo, that not everything that we came up in was wrong. And I don't want anyone yeah. who listened to this to think that that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. not saying that everything uh, in the church, the Pentecostal experience that I grew up in was wrong. That's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's finding the balance. Everything in life is balance, yeah. right? And so it was finding that balance and how to read scripture correctly, which which caused me to do to delve deeper into context in scripture who's talking what is their personality why did they say what they they said and so that's what we started doing about two years into that um i started realizing that the people who were coming to our study were and our studies were on saturdays were going to their churches that they really didn't want to be a part of on sunday and I, I thought that was so, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just thought, that's interesting. Because what I realized was the the psychology of they just needed some place to go. Like, I, I got to go someplace. I I, did, I don't feel right. But for me, I was I was done with it. I'm like, I got up on Sunday morning. I'm cutting my grass. I'm going to the gym. <laughs> I was totally fast. And let me tell you something, you know, no yeah. conviction whatsoever. No yeah. conviction. Like, you should be in church. Not, not, not whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but for some of them, I realized that they were having an issue with that. And so yeah. because of it, uh, I told my wife, I said, yeah, we, we need to, we need to find a spot. And to you know, you know, open the doors and just kind of do this. Obviously, I'm a musician, so I'm going to have a musical aspect of it. Absolutely. And um, and just the teaching part of it, and it really freed me up to to do just that. So we did. Um, my first gathering, we call it assembly. Our gatherings was on the Yale campus here in uh, New, ha- New Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, was on the Yale campus. Uh, the chief of police at the time he's a part of our ministry and so the chief of police he he had access to it and he was like bro i got you we're going to meet there so we met there a couple times and then after that we eventually found our spot that we go to now um so that's what we do the 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 first century new testament church was a all-member participating situation it was everyone had something to say Mm-hmm. And when I read this in the book, Pagan Christianity, I knew without a question that this would be the model that we would have to use, that it would not be me as a guru or a pastor. I tell them, do not call me your pastor. I am not your pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will facilitate <clears throat> and I commit to studying and knowing what's going on. Somebody's got to, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to be in that room to bring some some, some balance and to kind of, you know what I mean, set some things mm-hmm. straight. Uh, and so we have intelligent people, doctors, police officers, I mean, you know, whatever, street sweepers or whatever, just all of them are amazing and they have something to contribute. Now, does it get a little um, tricky? Yeah, absolutely, because some people who speak up, 
may not be as sound in their theology. So we don't shoot it down. We we walk with them. And his and and the Socratic method works incredibly well, <laughs> which is let me ask you, consider this, right? Mm-hmm. And when you, instead of browbeating you with, no, this is the way it is, then listen to me, it's, I want you to think about this. So if someone were to ask me a question in our gatherings, and I don't know the answer, I simply say, I don't know that. <laughs> and yeah. I will go home and study it, and we'll come back and have a conversation next week. See, I release myself of those same stresses that most pastors and bishops have um, because for some reason they labor under this idea that they're the smartest guy in the room. Right. Because somehow God has, you know, called them, so therefore they know. And that is not the truth. Mm. So it's easy for me to say, I don't know that. Let me go home and study that. Let me, yeah, let me come. Now it gives me a reason to come back. Now let's, let's, let's reason together. Let's open up this scripture. As a matter of fact, let's open up some other books too. Because we, we read from other books. I mean, you know, like I said, the, the book of St. Thomas is an amazing book, right? I haven't quite gotten to uh, the book of Enoch yet, because that's, you know, that's a little bit more <laughs> tricky for most people, especially when they're still struggling with um, re- religious mindsets. But um, we'll, we will read from, from other books, but everyone in that room has something to say. I'll start off, we'll start off with music, I'll start off teaching, raise your hand, we have a conversation. That's beautiful. I've seen other people encourage other people in the room with their uh, wisdom, their experiences, or even their questions. Because see, if a woman in the back raises her hand and asks a question, nine times out of 10, it is the same question in the mind or the heart of someone else in that room. That's true. So now it's, oh, I was wondering the same thing. Now, if that's answered, not by me, but in the room, and I can back that up, we can quantify it, qualify it, then we all walk away enriched. That to me is the first century New Testament model in Acts. That's the true model of the gathering of the body. So we call it be church because we want you to be the church, not go to church, not have church, not do church, all the all those idioms that we've come up with over 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 the over time is to be it. I encourage you to be the body, mm-hmm. right? And what we see now in this day is this um this when we look at the church, we look, we're actually looking at this image of a dwarf, which is this uh, fully developed head with an underdeveloped body. Mm. So if Christ is the head of the church, then that's in place. But now we have this underdeveloped body. And now we know that that's not the true representation because the body is going to match the head. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to. Yeah. So we got some we got some work to do. Yeah. Um, so even with my leaving re- religion, even with me not calling myself a Christian, I found that I just couldn't let Christ go. Mm. I was there too, yo. I was there like, what's this whole thing? Man, I had been seeing stuff online, and my my, my family members would talk to me about other things, other religions, and whatnot. Uh, and I was like, man, I don't know about this. I just could not let Christ go, the, the mm. character of Yeshua go. Yeah. Here, here's yeah. what I say, and this ruffles a lot of feathers when, people, when I say this to people. Mm. I can't prove that Yeshua lived. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't prove that Jesus lived. 
Mm-hmm. What I can prove is the spirit that causes all things to be. That's what I can prove because I operate by that spirit. I've tested that spirit. No one has the body. No one has the bones. They can't do the DNA. No one. Yeshua is a is a character in literature that we call the Bible, the canonized scripture. And when you boil it down, that's what it is. And many people will be upset with me. How dare you say that? Well, I'm telling you, prove that the physical person existed. Mm-hmm. Now, when we're done with all that, I'm saying the spirit that inspired, as they say, the living word lives mm-hmm. in me. Now, watch this, yeah. y'all. This is very important. If the spirit inspired the written word, is the spirit dead and the word alive? Mm-mm. Okay. So if the spirit inspired dead words on a page, then why don't I embrace the spirit that caused those words to be canonized or, or to take place? Mm. Because that's still alive. See, most people think that in Revelation, when Revelation ends, God stopped speaking. Mm. Mm. The Most High still speaks. Yeah. So why am I depending on literature from thousands of years ago that has been translated, transliterated? Mm-hmm. Don't even get me, don't even get me going on transliteration. Don't get me going on versions. I tell people all the time, King James, his last name is not version. <laughs> It is the King James Version. And in 1611, that version was changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have these versions of scripture that has been chopped up, split. I mean, come on. Yeah. And and somehow we're supposed to flip through this word and understand it fully without asking questions at face value. It makes no sense. Even great theologians argue between themselves. Yeah. That's how you know, wait a minute, something's not quite right. But, 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 if your caveat is that the Spirit inspired it, then that that gives me a sigh of relief because now I'm saying, oh, fine, then all I got to do is go directly to Spirit. And where Mm -hmm. is Spirit? It lives within me. Yeah. See, see, that is the crux of what I teach at B, is, is, is the greater one lives within you. When the Pharisees said, hey, man, you're talking all this stuff. <laughs> Show us the Father. Show us the King. Where's the kingdom? Most High took great pride in this because he knows that the Pharisees are proud people. They're all about outward appearance, right? How they dress. The boy reminds me of a lot of the presbyteros today, right? The yeah. robes and the hats and all this kind of stuff. And so he says, mm-hmm. it, can't, it can't be observed by looking at it. Mm-hmm. It's within. The kingdom is within. What is the kingdom? Well, your yeah. big brother, Miles Monroe, helped you understand it. It is God's big idea for planet Earth. It's what he decides, it's what rather, what he um, uh, uh, desires for humans on this plane of existence. Mm. To live to their fullest and to be their godness, to be their to operate at their greatest selves. That's who God is. God is their greatest selves. Wow. And you want to talk about this devil? Most people, most people in religion believe more in the devil. When I say believe, I'm talking about they place greater emphasis and energy 
on the devil, which is why you see it. See, when it comes to manifestation, that which you place the, uh, the highest energy on, right? The highest elevated emotion is what you'll manifest. Now watch this. You talk about God, that, that feels good to you. But boy, something happens when Christians start talking about the devil. Right. And when they place that high elevated emotion on this idea of the devil, guess what they'll begin to manifest? Yeah. So they spend most of their lives casting out devils, coming against the devil without truly opening up and just simply living. And devil just comes from the word diablos, which means to be split, right? To be, uh, 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 to, to, to tear apart, uh, 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 di uh, diabolical, diabolique, whatever. So, so they spent all that attention on that instead of becoming one with the most high, the most high. Look at that term, the mm -hmm. most high high it is the heart highest functioning part of myself have mm. as above so below heaven yeah. look at the mind earth look at the body yeah that's what that is heaven is the mind earth is the body so as the mind uh you understand this mm -hmm. as the mind sends signals the body is the unconscious mind so the mm -hmm. body begins to you get goosebumps when you think about um someone that you were once in love with or vacation your body is not there you're not in hawaii you're not hugging that person kissing that person but your body begins to feel it because it is the unconscious mind but it is receiving signals from the mind yeah so whatever the mind begins to magnify the body begins to feel and that's what heaven and earth really is and it's mm. esoteric meaning that's what heaven and earth is yeah. So it's teaching people how to unearth <laughs> the godness in them. And watch this, yo. You can't do it if you are constantly hating yourself. Yeah. You can't unearth God, release your godness if you are constantly judging yourself, hating yourself, because the Most High does not hate him herself. The, the, the female, the male, female principle of God does not hate itself. Are you on the edge of your seat? Because I know I am. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Like and subscribe to the Yoel Amawale podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes or previous episodes. And I'd love to hear from you. Email us at hello at yoelomawale.com. Thank you.